And with the restaurant, of course, it's um, it's constantly a problem. You know, I'm often supposed to try to work a little bit less at night, but um, I quite I find myself to having to come because somebody's sick, somebody couldn't make it, or somebody decided they don't want to any longer work in hospitality. Today on Dirty Linen, we are heading to Sydney to talk to Giorgio De Maria. Giorgio is one of Australia's most enthusiastic ambassadors of wine, Italian wine in particular, natural wine is a focus. Uh, but I, I think the reason I wanted to hit up Giorgio for an interview at the moment is because of Pasqui, uh, your beautiful wine store and eatery in Sydney, just such a welcoming and engaging venue. I want to know everything about it. So Giorgio, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you so much, Danny. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm really good. You, I also have to say you're from my favourite part of Italy, Piedmont. So maybe we could, I don't know, where do you want to start? Do you want to just give us a little bit of backstory and then and then bring us into what you're doing now? Yes, of course. So I think um, um, a curiosity is that um, I came about to hospitality probably just, um, uh, it was a pretty casual thing because I used to work in restaurants when I was younger to pay my uh, university. And then um, I started to, um, I was studying agriculture. So my uh, my destiny was supposed to be a little bit different, but um, I got to a point where um, I actually got more into hospitality than agriculture. So when I finished my study um, with a degree on um, summer cheeses, by the way, so always food relating, um, I just abandoned that career and and I just uh, got fully immersed into into food and wine. So you had a you've got a degree in cheese. You're saying you're a, you're a cheese academic. Yeah. So so um, my my thesis was um, <clears throat> was a experimental thesis about the cheese production. So in um, in Europe, it's um, in the Alps, especially, it's quite common that um, to bring uh, animals or cows, goats and sheep um, on, on the, in altitude during the summer season, uh, when it's warmer and when there is no snow, to make really beautiful cheeses that you know, taste quite, di- quite different from the winter production. And um, so my thesis was um, uh, the first stage of recognizing um, a DOP, so a protected um, appellation for cheeses um, in this part of Piemonte. Beautiful. My goodness, it just makes me want to eat cheese in Piemonte immediately. Um, but, I, I mean, obviously there's so much synergy between cheese and wine. You know, it's it's about the land, it's about fermenting. Um, but, yeah, tell us tell us about how hospitality reeled you in and, and how it brought you to Australia. Yeah, so um, basically I um, – it was um, – I was supposed to, um, uh, so basically what happened was after my, my degree, I worked in, in my sec, you know, in, uh, in my industry, I worked for, um, um, for the government in, um, for some projects in agriculture, but I ended up to find them quite boring. And, um, and so I decided to, to leave Italy. And that was, um, when I was, um, 28. So it's, I think. If I'm not wrong, it's 20, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's 17 years ago now. And um, so I left, um, 
I left Italy and I decided to go to to Ireland because um, at the time I couldn't speak any English. Not not that I made many progresses, but um, <laughs> at least <laughs> now I hope people can understand me. But I left um, I left Italy. I went to Ireland to work in restaurants, and um, and after that I had the opportunity to. To, to come to Australia um, just through like a working holiday visa it was just for a while. So I planned three years worth of uh, hospitality work around the world. So I worked in Japan for about 11 months before coming to Australia. And then uh, I was supposed to go to LA and, uh, and New York as well. I already had a few uh, propositions lined up, but um, I ended up to stay here because um, um, I fell in love for a small little place in Surrey Hills at the time called Vini. And, um, and that's so I started to work there and we started to import a little bit of wine. Um, and, um, and here we are. I'm still here. <laughs> um, so at, at Pusky, you combine your retail, I mean, you import some of the wine, you combine the retail and the, and the hospitality. Can you tell me about combining those things? Yes. So <clears throat> the news as well is, uh, and probably you don't know this, but um, the news is that um, um, so when we opened, we were selling the wines retail um, because obviously the, um, all these um, law to facilitate restaurant um, for um, COVID, um, we already had um, a plan to um, upgrade our license to what originally was, which is a hotel license. But we had a very strong um, opposition by council and the and few businesses around us, and so we had decided for the time being to drop the the retail part. So we're looking at potentially. Ex- doing a bottle shop um, in, uh, in a place just uh, very near to us. Uh, but right now we, we have dropped that plan because um, it was made a little bit more complicated than what it should be. Um, and so at, at the moment, um, we are just operating as a wine bar downstairs and a restaurant upstairs. Oh, I didn't realize that. So you can't buy a bottle of wine to take away? No, not, not, not anymore. Um, so it was... Um, after, after, um, so I'm not, I'm not sure why, but this area had, um, you know, obviously a bad reputation for a long time. So there has been restrictions on all the license. Uh, we already managed to get rid of the obligation of having security, which would have made, um, the whole place a little bit awkward as you can imagine. But, um, we, we already applied even before opening, we applied for, um, reinstate um, the original license, um, which is a fully hotel license, which would have allow, it could allow us to do retail in the same space as, um, as a restaurant. But um, unfortunately, the council opposed very strongly. I don't know why. They probably didn't understand uh, what we wanted to do. So they want us to do a new DA and... Um, it's a quite complicated and expensive process, as you can imagine. So we, we, we have decided for the time being to, um, to just work on, uh, on the bottle shop and, um, 
in restaurant and uh, there may be an opportunity to to actually do the shop very close to where we are but at the moment still um in the air sorry to disappoint everyone on this one <laughs> well, it's very disappointing, but it's also it's also it also speaks to I suppose the the sort of the bluntness of some of those licensing laws where you just think, well, no one is going to buy you know a, a bottle of I don't know like Sicilian natural wine and then go and you know create a riot on the street. It's um you can sort of these these licensing laws that seem designed to I suppose prevent alcohol fueled violence coming out of beer barns or whatever um you know places that are operating on a large scale super late at night it just seems like yeah one size doesn't necessarily fit all when it comes to these kinds of restrictions yes look like i still you know obviously coming from europe i still really struggling with the mentality around alcohol you know because um yeah it seems to me that uh you know you, yeah we just play on um on kind of forbidding things and then in the other hand actually though kind of contributing to bad habits at the same time uh, so um you know in a certain perspective for example there is some drinks that are sold in bottle shop that you know they shouldn't be sold like when you have like caffeine and alcohol in the same drink um so there is no really distinction between um good alcohol and bad alcohol so i understand that alcohol is alcohol but what we do it's also more about culture and uh it's more about drinking well and um, also to be honest you know kind of drinking less because the two things are related um um drinking for the pleasure of enjoying the flavor of a bottle of wine which um you know very often satisfy you is not for the is not for the need of of getting drunk or or, or ingesting more alcohol than than normal mm. Yeah, it's such an interesting distinction and and so well made. You're absolutely right. There is so much alcohol that is, does seem to be sold for the purpose of um yeah, it's just simply writing yourself off and or yeah, partying super hard like those yeah, caffeinated drinks which seem very gross. But let's talk about the good stuff and what draws you into wine, Giorgio, and why you're so passionate about it and about, I guess, opening some of these wine worlds up to people who don't know as much about it as you do. Like, what is it that keeps you engaged with wine? Well, for me, it's like, um, it's, it's the approach to, 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 to different flavors. So how this wine can be all extremely different. They can reflect so much not just where they're from, which is obviously, you know, important, but even most importantly, they're reflecting the people that are producing them. And, um, and you know, in, in regards to the one I work with, we're talking about family business, sometimes very small, sometimes tiny production, where, where these producers are doing everything themselves and, uh, and their character comes through the wine. And this is what I find extremely exciting. Um, obviously for me, Japan was an incredible experience that kind of opened a little bit more my eyes about this, but for food and wine. Um, so I find, first of all, I found a lot of similarity between Japan and Italy, because if, if you go to Italy or the same way, when you go to Japan, you may travel like 30 K away and you find a place with a completely different specialty you find um you know when i was in japan i was able to try um you know like i don't know some minuscule prawn 
ones coming from a remote island near Hokkaido, and um, and they, you can only find them in that uh, specific location. And it's the same thing with Italy. You know, there is some products that are limited to the very specific village, and um, and obviously this is producing very unique flavors. So when you're searching for unique flavor, when you're searching for diversity, um, I think there is no reason why you couldn't like these wines. Yeah, it's so interesting that that um, comparison between Japan and Italy. And one thing that I wasn't aware of uh, until I interviewed a sommelier from Carlton Wine Room, actually, is just the, the strength of the wine culture in Japan, just in terms of appreciating wine. And apparently people line up at wine stores when a particular vintage is coming out. So that's that sort of, I guess it's that enthusiasm and appreciation for the artisan, which is a, a thread that really runs through the two cultures. Exactly. Well, I, I think this is, this is coming from the, from the culture around, around food. It's, it's, it's a little bit what I explained before. So in Japan, there is this maniac research for, for a specific product because they all have a specific flavor that comes from that product, that place, and, and the people that are producing it. And this, it's an obsessive thing, really, but it's also preserving heritage, history, um, and, um, and the artisanality. So... Um, the, you know, in, in a certain extent, France is also like that. You know, there is um, um, there is um, a series of um, laws as well to protect uh, um, food product that doesn't really exist in any other part of the world. Um, so, I think when you are so attentive to flavor, um, that's that's how you you get um, so much interest in wine that are all tasting so distinctively. And this is why the success. So this is why I think that, you know, Japanese, they were the, the first people to import massively wine, um, natural wine into Japan, even in times where the wines also often were not exactly right. Um, you know, um, because when you, when you ferment something naturally with, um, with no preservative, there is... Um, there is always a batch that from time to time doesn't go in the right direction. And also it's something that um, the cleanliness and uh, the purity comes as well a little bit with experience, in my opinion, when you're working in, in, in this kind of environment. And, um, you know, and they are, they are producers that um, are now super iconic here in Australia that... Um, 20 years ago, nobody would ever buy. They didn't even know what it was. And uh, in Japan, it was already a strong market. So, I mean, you know, as you've alluded to, there has been a lot of, I guess, development in the world of natural wine, both in the way it's being made and, I guess, controlled or trammeled or, you know, um, the techniques have improved, but also the way it's being appreciated by um, by consumers. Like, can you talk about that journey for yourself? Like, w- what was it that um, made you focus on this part of the wine world and how has it been sort of communicating that to people who are interested in drinking wine? Yeah, so w- w- once again, um, I started to, I, I tried some Italian natural wine um, back when I was in Japan for the first time. I've seen some wine that I've never seen in Italy before. And in fact, some of this wine 
were going pretty much all just to Japan at the time. And, uh, and, and so I was able to try things that I didn't even know they existed. So the first thing I did um, before starting to import, I, I gave myself three months and, um, and I went back to Italy. Um, and this was already when I was already a few, few months in Australia. Um, I went back to Italy for three months and, and I basically traveled all regions of Italy, tried to go and find all this wine that I tried in Japan. And, um, and obviously slowly, slowly kind of researching, um, a combination of regionality and, um, and people that are making natural wine. So I, I research and educate myself about the different, uh, wine region, which so far I only studied in books, but, um, and I, of course I visited few wine regions near me, uh, or even in France in the, in the past, but this trip was extremely important and, and was, um, organized very systematically. So I went and look at many wine region and then I went and look at many producers that um, are making wines in this way. And, um, and that was my, that's the way I started. And, um, you know, and uh, once again, once I started to, want to, 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 to taste wine with this depth and diversity, it was very hard for me to, to go and drink a pretty generic and commercial wine. And then was it, you, then you thought, okay, more other people need to try this wine, and you started just you wanted to bring it back to Australia. Yes, pretty much. Also because at the time there was very little of those wines imported, so it was also I could see like a, a, a great opportunity to 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 get them over here, and um, and um, it's just also exciting, you know. It was something completely new. Um, I just without even thinking, I just thought. I didn't even think about um, if people would have liked them or not. I just thought it was so interesting um, to start a, a journey like this because um, I was I was very impressed by how Australian customers were approaching um, the restaurant experience. Um, like in Italy, very often, uh, when I worked on the floor there, the customers comes and, you know, they, they always think they know everything. There is no much of, um, exchange, uh, at the time anyway, things may have changed. When, when, when I was working in this little restaurant in, um, in, in Surrey Hills, people were coming and, 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 and they were extremely curious. So, there was a, an, an incredible drive in actually educating themselves about uh, the food from Italy, and 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 Vini was doing a great job in that regards, um, and and so I just thought was was a perfect combination of um, offering something so specific um, when there are people that are actually interested to 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 suck that information up. Yeah, that sounds so satisfying. Um, and so was Vin followed by 121BC? Yeah, so 121BC came a little bit later. So, um, so Vini was a restaurant that um, existed when I came to Australia and um, I started to work there for shift. And then um, um, I got involved 
to import some wine for the restaurant. And then the group opened um, Berta, which is uh, was a really beautiful restaurant um, already in the city where um, now Alberto is. Um, and then um, one to one BC just around the corner, which was the bottle shop wine bar, uh, which at the time was extremely successful because um, was offering an over- overwhelming selection of of Italian wines and um, and everybody was just amazed to come there and explore and I don't I don't think uh, in uh, you know in more than four years working at One to One BC I don't think many people ever picked something from the menu they they always ask me what to drink which is quite amazing. What does it what did it feel like for you and what does it still feel like that you know you're sort of you learned so much about Italian wine culture from overseas, you know, went, went, had to go back to go on that discovery journey. And then you're sort of an ambassador for it here. I mean, what does it, what does it feel like to be that person? Yeah. Well, it, it, it feels great because you, you said that you said something very true. Like I wasn't, um, I wasn't traveling Italy that much and I wasn't discovering things enough um, in Italy when I was living in Italy. Uh, you kind of give it for granted. And uh, so it's actually an, an empowering, um, such an empowering feeling. Uh, and there's not much about Italy. Uh, it's about, in general, about um, sharing a discovery. Um, um, I, I find it incredibly, incredibly fascinating when I travel to to find new things. Um, so I'm I'm not... I'm not obsessed about countries, like I'm not, I'm Italian, I love Italy, but, um, and I am an ambassador of, of Italian wines and, and, and food, but at the same time, I, I feel more like I'm a citizen of the world, you know, like it's, um, and uh, I, can, I can see how exciting is, um, is the experience of, of, of discovering something which could be anywhere and, and make it accessible to other people. That uh, they share your interest. I love that because, yeah, it's. I think the more specific you get um, with food or with wine, with lots of different things, really, it's like the more you can go so deep that you get to something universal. I mean, is and I think maybe that's what I love about Pusky. I've only been two times: once downstairs, once upstairs. But I think I just I love that feeling of of joy that's threaded through that. Um, introducing people to to different worlds, and it's like, yeah, th- I suppose the thread that runs through it is, is there's a thread of connection and discovery, and yeah, it does feel a bit like you do become a bit of a citizen of the world through this very specific experience. Exactly. Also, because um, um, since a couple of years, or actually probably more three years now, I started to you know to travel other countries and uh, importing other products. And, you know, sometimes I have to, to kind of calm, calm myself down a little bit because, you know, when I go and travel and I found things that I like, I just want to import everything. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think um, everyone here, you know, all the stuff and obviously also Enrico and Mattia who are my partner in business, we all, uh, we all share the same, the same feelings. Um, so Enrico just got back to Italy 
yesterday and um, you know he was eating around Italy to find new recipes to find uh, new dishes when I go and travel I always make sure that you know in my schedule there is um, there is always time to to go in places I'm concentrating not much on fine dining because I don't think it's the strength of Italian food but I'm concentrating in uh, in, in small historical restaurants that are cooking with very fresh and local produce and um, there is some recipes that are just amazing and um, and there is so much out there and, and there is so much to discover uh, you know I don't feel I am anywhere near to have discovered uh, enough about Italy. Could you just take me to a little restaurant just to tell me about somewhere that you went recently that had that just yeah really it really enveloped you and excited you? Yeah, of course. So the, um, again, it's a restaurant very much related to a person. And um, so he's a, he's a chef called Carmelo Chiaramonte. Um, and he's in Sicily, he's in Chicli. The restaurant is in Chicli. It's open uh, only in the summer months. He normally lives in Mount Etna. But I went there, I swing by to say hello. I actually went there in, uh, in the afternoon. And um, so the restaurant wasn't even open, but we just started to to, to talk and he, he basically cooked me two or three courses while we were, um, while we were talking. And, um, and he, he makes some, um, he's, he's obsessed with the history of, um, of the Mediterranean. So he's, he's, he's studying a lot. Um, citrus um so he's um he's studying all the citrus that you can find uh, in the mediterranean he's fermenting them he's doing things with them and um and then he's also very obsessed with um some production that were very typical at roman time or even more uh, uh, even earlier where um, where that part of italy was part of greece and um and so he cooked me this dish um which was made with cured um, cured tuna sperm, the the spermatic sacs of the tuna, cured and uh, and cured with animal fat for like about six eight months, and then so he used that and he made a he made a very simple pasta by using that using some almonds and using some bergamot so everything from the Mediterranean. And and for me that dish was just was just incredible. It was just a combination of flavor that just worked, and um, and it just really blew my mind. It sounds amazing. So is the tuna cured tuna sperm sacs? Is it sort of like batago in a way? Yeah. So quite dry, and then is it shaved into the pasta? Yeah, it's not it's not as dry as botarga, but um, it's a little bit softer than botarga. But um, it's got that kind of uh, consistency, and um, and uh, it was just. Uh, I, I think that it's 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 also a product that you you find a lot on history books. So it's something that was so common. Um, so making all this product from uh, from drying fish, um, so from colatura di alici or. Um, Colatura from any fish, really any fish sauce, was extremely, extremely um, common at, at those times, 
and he's trying to rediscover all these um, very old tradition and and uh, and obviously bring them up uh, in a more current way. But yeah, I, every time I go and see him, it's just uh, you know it's just an incredible journey because um, he's, he's he's you know you go to his house and there is thousands of jars with things fermenting in it. And, uh, and, you know, and, oh, you want to try this? And he brings up um, a, a known citrus uh, that is being, you know, pickled or almonds that have been fermenting um, and also using different phases from the fruit to the flower. Um, so I, I think um, this is the things that, especially in cuisine, I'm very much now into Oh, just sounds so good, like so rich and timeless, but also contemporary. I just, oh, I really need to go there as well. Um, so how do you, uh, do you translate this sort of passion and interest and I guess heritage into the food that you're doing in Sydney? So obviously, the, 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 you know, with uh, a lot a lot to do, a lot to do with the food is pretty much Enrico's input. But we are all on the same page when um, we are um, thinking of what to offer here, which is we don't want to be um, we don't want to be too we don't want to be messing around too much with the food. We we don't want to make um, things that are um, you know maybe very tasty and rich, but not super traditional. We, we're going to try to to offer dishes that have. Uh, very few ingredients. We will focus a lot on the ingredients, and this is obviously something that requires time. So obviously we're trying to source um, as much as we can um, local ingredients for whatever um, can be sourced around here. And, and obviously there is some uh, some ingredients that they, they're not replicable here. So from olive oil, you know, like I, I love Australian olive oil, but I still think, um, I still think that it's very hard to find olive oil with the same quality of some olive oil you can find in Italy. And again, I think it's a lot to do once again with um, just time and experience um, because um, the, the products here are fantastic, um, and there is more and more incredible stuff coming out, but. With certain certain ingredients like olive oil or, or for example, some cheeses like Parmigiano Reggiano or some prosciutto or um, or even some fish sauce, it's very hard to 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 find them here. So we have to source them from Italy, and um, also because some of this product can only can only be produced there, obviously because they they protected. So let's not forget about that <laughs> uh, there is a big there is a big difference between parmesan and parmigiano reggiano which is an appellation protected appellation where you know you can only make it with a certain breed of cow in a in a specific area and blah 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 um, but but the idea is this one is to offer something authentic um, with good ingredients and and simplicity like I think, you know, this is what I appreciate most in in Italian cuisine. And and you know, Enrico is is a fantastic chef. is incredibly creative. 
So sometimes he loves Japanese food. Sometimes he's um, he's trying to go a little bit um, uh, on different uh, lines. And you know, I love what he does, but sometimes I have to tell him, let's 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 remember what we said about the food we want to offer you. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, um, yeah, so your chef, Enrico Tomaleri, we should mention his name, give him a shout out. And so if I, if I was coming in, uh, let's say for one snack and one glass of wine and you just really wanted to showcase something that you guys do, what would you, what would you feed me? Well, so we we'll probably give you, I think there is this dish, which is, uh, which is a good example because it, it's a combination of, um, something existing and something that it's a little bit um, improvised. So it's a combination between two dishes. So it, it's called papala, um, which is also the name. It's a fantasy name. So if you go to Italy, don't go around and ask for papala because um, uh, you only find it in uh, at Pasqua in Sydney. <laughs> and it's, um, it's, it's a basically a combination of bacala and papa al pomodoro. So bacala is, is salt cod. So salted cod, which is being cooked in a very Venetian way. So Enrico Tomelli is, is from Verona originally, so it's from Veneto. And uh, so the salt cod is cooked in milk. And uh, papa al pomodoro, it's more of a Tuscan dish, which is just a very simple bread and tomato salad. And, and this this is a combination of um, of both. So it's it comes out as a really like a paste that you spread on on more bread, of course, and um, and is obviously extremely salty, savory, but also very refreshing. And also, it's also slightly fermented, so there is that acidity coming from uh, from fermentation, and. Um, you know, with something like that, we 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 will probably offer you. A, we have a couple of um, options. We have um, we were pairing that with uh, in, more in summertime. We were pairing that with um, with an amazing savory uh, pink lambrusco, or maybe now that it's a little bit colder, um, we probably still pairing it with with a white, but something a little bit richer from Sicily from. Um, Especially, there is a wine in particular from this producer called uh, Baraco, um, which is near Marsala, where the the vineyard is growing on a dune of sand. So if you go in the vineyard, you're basically walking like on a beach. So you 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 are um, you are on full sand, and it, it feels quite amazing. Oh my goodness. I was actually hoping you'd talk about the papala because I think that is such a, such a spirited and fun dish, like super tasty. Uh, but yeah, it has a real story. And of course, yeah, the, the, every wine's got a story as well. I just wanted to add as well that, that, that this dish is also great because, um, um, it's a dish where kind of all of us had an input. So the, the actual idea of this dish was, more Mattia, which is Mattia is um, um, the third partner. Mattia Ducati, who also imports um, wine um, and imports the same kind of uh, producer that um, uh, I work with, and uh, because he, he saw this uh, this variation with um, with a little bit of tomato into the into the bacala, and so he. 
he, he gave Enrico the idea of, uh, of, of making something with tomato. And, uh, and Enrico came up with this papala, uh, uh, a combination of two iconic dishes that from Italy, you know, Papa Pondoro from Toscana and Bacala Mantecato from, uh, from, from Veneto. I love that because it's, it's, it's got a sense of humour. It's really, yeah, spirited. It's got that heritage, but it's also very modern. And it sort of feels like something that really it's very Australian to be able to, to have that freedom to pluck something from a region and then from another region where, you know, often those, those different places would be very parochial about their own, their own cuisine. So, yeah, it feels like a very Sydney dish as well as um, being anchored in that Italian history. Um, Giorgio, we've been talking a lot on this podcast recently about some of the issues in hospitality and staffing and costs uh, of the big ones that keep coming up for people. I, I've been hearing a lot from from uh, sommeliers and, and wine program managers about some of the issues around wine importing and that things have got really expensive and tricky. I mean, how is all that stuff for you? Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's all true and, uh, and very sharp in, on every field you mention. So, um, yeah, at the moment, I'm, I must admit um, I am struggling a lot because um, the day starts very early and finishes very late and, um, yeah, there is not much time for myself um so i've been promising myself to slow down it's, it's probably 10 years i'm saying that and it just keeps getting worse um but yeah so in terms of importing um just to give an example th- so there is two main issues one is the cost of course which increase um in in my experience increase more about 60 percent uh, the cost of shipping from, from europe and um in the other hand, there's also the delay. And the fact that now you just have to be fine with it. You can't, um, if they tell you there is a delay because there is not a container, this is the normality, you know? If something like that would happen five years ago, you would, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody would be extremely sorry and, you know, like, Everybody would try not to make it happen again, but now it's just the normality. It's, it's um, and it's extreme. I'm just um, I'm just sorry for some people that may have just started because if I was a new business and um, if I had to pay, like I do most of my wine up front, and then having to wait four or five months until I can actually start selling it, um, it would be extremely hard. So. Thankfully, I've been doing this few years, and and and, uh, and I am in, um, you know, in a in a healthy cash flow situation where I can uh, kind of just um, go through this. Um, but like to give an example, one of my latest shipments was was all pay, pay and ready to be picked up in at the beginning of March, and and there was no container coming to Australia, so my shipping company could not find a container and the first container available was um, on the 29th of May. So it's like March, April. So it's three months just to find a container. And then there is five weeks for the shipping. And then uh, sometimes with some delays. So it's, it's very hard to work like that. But, um, you know, 
as any other industry, this is the this is the normality now. Um, there is nothing anybody can do apparently, and so we just need to to work around it. And um, and with the restaurant, of course, it's um, it's constantly a problem. You know, I'm often supposed to try to work a little bit less at night, but um, I quite I find myself to having to come because somebody's sick, somebody couldn't make it, or somebody decided that um, they don't want to any longer work in hospitality. Because I've, I've been seeing a lot of that. I've been seeing a lot of people um, saying I've been offered a, a daytime job and I just I just don't feel like working nights anymore. Um, it's, it's quite common and understandable. Yeah, that's really tough. I mean, especially when you're also would rather not be working nights or not every night. It's really hard to begrudge people that lifestyle change. Yeah, and also with a broken foot, which, you know, I'm still working the floor, but <laughs> just a bit slower. Jojo, <laughs> oh, it does not sound ideal to have a broken foot and still be, yeah, um, up and down the stairs and working working in the restaurant. That's really tough. Um, I mean, how do you, what do you see as the way forward? I mean, it's a big question, but, I mean, how can we reconcile these um quite reasonable desires people have for a lifestyle balance um, with wanting to, with the people also wanting to go and drink wine in the evening? Well, I think, so the only way, so there is two ways and I've seen more and more people doing kind of restricting their hours, reducing their opening hours or like closing an extra day, which is, you know, completely understandable, but I would prefer not to have to do that uh, because I still love, I, I think this is affecting the, the meaning and the essence of, of restaurants and places to go out. Um, you know, like it's, it kind of brought it to a point where everywhere you go, you have to book. Um, there is nowhere to go if you want to go somewhere on a Monday or Tuesday lunch, good luck to find a place to go. It's 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 all extremely challenging, and this you know in a way it's against the spirit of hospitality. I I used to love. There was a lot, you know. An example: Fratelli Paradiso was open in in Sydney. Was open breakfast, lunch, and dinner. For me, it was just an institution, and um, and I love places like that. I love that model, but I just think at the moment it's pretty much impossible for everyone to make that happen and and the the only other solution to it is to that hopefully we we get um maybe some more people from overseas that um are willing to to work in this job and um and you know in all honesty i i already went and source um uh, started to talk to people that are are living overseas to see if they, they're willing to come here for a while because um, there is no one here. <laughs> or anyway, there is, there is obviously people here, but um, there is not that many that um, are choosing to do this as a job. Mm. And what was the response? You know, were people, because I feel like Australia's reputation as a place for overseas workers has been trashed a little bit over the past two years. Do you feel like people are willing to come back to Australia or visit or come to Australia and work for the first time? Well, I think so. I don't, you know, I think Australia has always been for, especially for, um, 
Yeah, I don't know why, but even myself, like the first time I came to Australia, I was 18. And every person you talk to in Italy, uh, pretty much, or even friends, everybody has this dream to go to Australia. So I don't think that's, that has changed much, um, despite things that have happened. Um, but um, I, the, the response was um, was positive. You know, I'm, I've been talking to a couple of people that may be able to come, but again, they are already engaged with uh, with with other businesses, so it will take a little while, uh, as it as it's right. You know, obviously, I would appreciate if somebody that works for me, if they decide to move on, I always always appreciate um, to give me a little bit of time to 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 kind of set myself up again. But um, so, um, but yeah, look, the response has been good, so I'm probably gonna be able to. Um, to get a couple of people from overseas, but you know, like when we opened, we we basically had no staff, so I had to ask a friend who was living in Melbourne and uh, and ask another friend who was living in Tasmania. So and that's how we opened this place in uh, in, in in November because um, otherwise um, we really couldn't find anybody here. Mm. Um, yeah, well, it's just tough all round. Um, Giorgio, I, I hope things improve in terms of your foot and your staffing and getting the wine off the boats. Um, but thank you so much for chatting to us today. It's just great to get a bit of the backstory and, um, yeah, hear all the passion and thought that goes into what you do. Uh, really, really appreciate what you're doing um, for the hospitality scene in Sydney. Thank you so much, Nandi. It's so nice to talk to you. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.